Reading comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, and then 16 and 17. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. love that song that we just sang, One Day. The second verse really hit me as well. One day you'll make everything new, Jesus. One day you'll make sense of it all. One day every question resolved, every anxious thought left behind, no more fear when we all get to heaven. For now, in the finiteness of our minds, we do have God's Word to study. And He wants to open up His truth to, uh, to us because in Christ is all wisdom and knowledge. And He expects us to study and dig deeply into that. Now I want to come back to our passage of Scripture from last week and the topic of that old sinful nature that may have made some of you uncomfortable because there's a very important word coming up in verse 16 that requires us to understand what Christ has done for us in order to really understand what it means for us moving forward. And that word is, therefore. You see, it depends on what we believe to be true in order to put that truth then into practice. And that's kind of Paul's point here in, the, in Colossians. All through the first half of his letter, Paul is emphasizing who Christ is, what he has done for, for us, and the completeness in which he has done it. And therefore, the second half of the letter is about how we should live standing on that truth because it makes a difference. Now, I'm a literalist when it comes to God's Word. You may have caught that over these past few years. Words have meaning. And if God used specific words, there was a reason that he used those words. One of the reasons that I delve into the original languages from time to time, into the Greek and the Hebrew, is to figure out exactly what was God saying to us. It's easy for us to use English or other language to explain things, but what was God really saying? And I do my best to take God's word at face value. What he says, he says, and I don't try to make it say something different because it might make me uncomfortable. Now, I'll admit, last week's topic made me a little uncomfortable, and I wrestled with it as I was putting together the message, because what I was literally reading in Scripture made me start questioning what I, perhaps we've, kind of been taught all our life. And as I delved into it, it was like my mind was being open to a new truth. It wasn't really new truth, because it was there all the time. It just perhaps opened me up to a greater depth of the truth. 
You know, we've been taught that there's this huge struggle between the sinful nature and the new nature that we are constantly being wrestled with, both of which are alive and well in us. And you've probably heard the example of the two dogs, right? The white dog and the black dog. And the example goes, like the two dogs lived in the same house and their owner found that when he fed the black dog, it grew strong, while at the same time, the white dog shrank and got weaker because it was not being fed. The same thing happened the other way around too. Then the example says, you and I have two natures inside us, one for sin and one for God. Just like the two dogs, if we feed one, it grows, but at the expense of the other. Then it asks the question, which nature are you feeding today? Years ago, I remember actually using that example as well. Because it sounded right. It sounded like what I felt was happening in me, in my own struggles. But that kind of brings me back to my contention that we have to guard against our feelings and our emotions, not allowing them to dictate the truth. Now, last week we dealt with a couple of verses that Evan read for us this morning as well, Colossians 2, 11 and 12, that said, In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, a word I didn't elaborate on, but it's actually very important to understand, is, is the actual term sinful nature. Believe it or not, nowhere in Scripture, in the, ling- in the li- original language, is the term sinful nature ever used. But you say, I, I, I read it in the NIV. And you may, and that's unfortunate, because that's the interpreter's interpretation as they translate it. But the word translated sinful nature, oftentimes that has been used in the NIV, is a Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X in English transliteration, which actually means and should be translated as flesh. Now, to give the NIV translators credit, apparently 95% of those times that they used sinful nature, they have retranslated back to flesh in the more recent versions. Why is this important? Because the Bible talks about the old nature, it talks about the new nature, and it talks about the flesh, and the flesh refers to our desires. It's not only used to refer to sinful desires, desires for our enjoyment as well uh, in, in the right context is the, the word sarx is also used for. But when sin occurred way back in the beginning, in the fall of man, it distorted those desires and began taking them to the extreme. So what we've learned to do, whatever, uh, we've learned to do whatever we want to satisfy ourselves. That's our natural inclination. Isn't that exactly what the world is saying to us today? Do whatever feels good for you, good on you. Do it your own way. Because of, sin and Satan, because of sin and Satan, the desires of the flesh have now become distorted and our old nature has become twisted and selfish and indulgent. And Satan knows about all those extreme desires. Hey, nothing's wrong with sleep. 
You see, our desires are not only bad or good. The desires that we have, we like to sleep, right? Nothing wrong with sleep. We like to eat. Nothing wrong with eating. For goodness sake, we like sex. Can you say that in church? There's nothing wrong with that. God provided all those things for our enjoyment. But then sin came in and distorted it. And Satan goes and says, hey, nothing wrong with sleep. Go ahead and hit that snooze button for another 10 minutes. Didn't that feel good? Hit it, hit it again. Ah, one more time. No big deal. Wasn't that meal good? You had a pretty small helping the first time. Go ahead and take, take some seconds. That can hurt you. You can, you can, you can work on it later. And that chocolate cake, oh, that looks so good. Nothing wrong with that. Just a sliver. And on and on, those temptations go, and we don't even know that we're being enticed through our desires. See, the flesh, our normal desires taken to the extreme, become sin. And it's all become normal in our old nature. It's what we have become accustomed to in the old nature. But folks, we're no longer like that. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he is what? A new creation. Listen, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. They've become transformed. The Bible is very clear that our old nature died once and for all at the cross of Jesus. It's no longer in you. You, have, you only have that new nature, your identity in Christ. In Romans chapter 6, listen, Paul says in verse 5 and 6, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Now listen, for we know that our old self, that's what we're talking about, that old self was crucified with Him. There's meaning in those words. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We've been set free from that power of sin working in, 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 the, in our nature. How many times have you heard people say, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? Yeah? Heard that often. And it sounds so spiritual and, and pious and humble, that we just nod our head in agreement without giving those words much thought. But in reality, you will never find anywhere in the New Testament that says a Christ follower is a sinner. Have you ever thought about that? They are all referred to as what? Saints. We would not be wrong if we referred to each other as saints. St. Marley. Got St. Andrea, St. Roy, St. Phil, St. Marcia. It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Well, you may say, what, well, what about Paul? You know, Apostle Paul himself, writing in 1 Timothy 1.15, says, um, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom what? I am the worst. There, he's calling himself a sinner. Well, if you would actually start reading in verse 9 and go through verse 17 of that chapter, you'll see the larger story why he's making that statement. Paul's saying that because he persecuted the church before he met Jesus on the Damascus road, he is the worst sinner that ever lived. And his point is that if God can save a sinner like him back then, he can save anybody. 
we should, we, be, we should be rejoicing in that truth today. And this is what Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where he proclaims it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't allow yourself to believe that you're always fighting a sinful nature that you can't get rid of. Though you and I certainly act in a sinful way from time to time, we don't have a sinful nature. We don't have, we don't even have an old nature. We have the new nature where Jesus has made his throne in us. Now, we do have the flesh, which is not the old nature, nor what people call the sinful nature. They, they are those desires. We're talking about that. Those are the desires that we need to discipline. There is discipline in the Christian life, and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And why is this so important? Because it goes to the very heart of the gospel about what really happened when Jesus died on the cross for us. Folks, we died with him. It goes to the core of who we really are inside. Are you both a sinner and a saint? That doesn't sound right. Or are you a saint who sometimes sins? Ah, Pastor, it's just semantics. No, it's not. It's serious theological truth. According to Romans 6, we are saints who sometimes sin. When we stand on God's word as truth, Jesus says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's a freedom that he is offering to us, that he has given to us. Free to sin? No, not at all. Don't misunderstand me there. It's we are now free not to sin. That's liberating. And with this truth in mind, I began looking at other scriptures in, in a new light, with, with a new meaning, uh, perhaps a deeper meaning. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. You, you know this passage well. Some of you may have it, most of it memorized, verses 1 through 6. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's that old nature ruled by sin. He's talking about that old nature, the power of sin, ruling that nature. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time. How? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. That's that word sarks that we were talking about. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, that old nature ruled by sin, we were by nature deserving of wrath. If we still had that old nature, we'd still be deserving of wrath. But, Paul says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. Saved from what? Saved from that old nature which was deserving of wrath. Saved from the power of sin that controlled that old nature. We've been saved from all that. And God raised us up. He raised us up. That was dead. He raised us up in Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That old nature of ours, ruled by sin, could never be seated with him in the heavenly realms. That passage just came alive for me. And, 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 and it corresponds exactly with our verses here in Colossians chapter 2. Your whole self, 
old nature, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off. When you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. Remember the teaching in Mark of Jesus in Mark chapter 2 about the, the old garments and the old wineskins? Listen with this new understanding. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else a new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Jesus didn't come to patch up old, our, our old nature like an old garment. The new nature cannot live inside the old nature like the new wine in the old wineskin. One has to give. In the same way, Christ cannot live in the old nature ruled by sin. Our old nature was crucified. And we've been raised with a new nature, and therefore Christ can now live in us, in that new nature. Someone touched base with me this past week and asked, okay, so, so with this discussion, with this, with this truth, how, how does it fit with passages like Luke chapter 9, verse 23, where it says, Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Or in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. It kind of sounds like that example of the white and black dog, right? It was a good question. Excellent question. Because it feels like it contradicts what we've just been talking about. But does it really? Let's look at them a minute. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus can't be talking about denying our sinful nature or even our old nature if it's been crucified. Not only crucified, it's been dead and buried. We don't have to re-crucify ourselves. So, so what are we denying it has to be referring to our natural desires that we have become accustomed to, as the sarks, the flesh, the fleshly desires. For example, if I want to treat my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, I need to care for my body in a way, uh, in, in the way that I eat, in the way that I exercise, in my sleep patterns. And there are times that I'm going to have to discipline myself and deny myself my regular desires to be able to keep my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit in, in a correct manner. If God calls me to a particular ministry with which I'm uncomfortable or to a place which is kind of outside of my comfort zone, outside of my element, I don't get to say, uh, no, thank you, I'm uncomfortable with that. My only response is to say, yes, not my will, but yours, be done. And so in that way, we are denying ourselves, denying what we want in order to do what God wants, allowing Jesus to reign supreme in our lives daily, denying ourselves daily, picking up the cross, following Jesus every day. Well, what about Galatians 5 then? That's, exactly, that's actually fascinating with, with this truth that we're talking about. Let me read verses 16 through 21 of Galatians 5. 
So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Then it goes on to say, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There you see, you may say, there's that old sinful nature that we have in us that that, that we're fighting all the time. You need to be careful. Listen to the context. Listen to the words. If, according to Paul in Colossians, and again in Romans, the old nature is crucified, dead, and buried, he, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is not going to contradict himself now in Galatians. Look at verse 16 again. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify what? The desires of the flesh. The word that's translated here, desire, is a very strong Greek word that means an extreme desire. The actual definition is a craving, longing, desire for what is forbidden, a lust for something. Those are the desires that have gone to the extreme. Those are the desires that Satan pushes beyond what is good. Those are the desires and the thoughts that we have to take captive and make obedient to Christ. For in verse 17, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit was contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Well, how is that even possible? Listen, because this is so important to understand. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. That's another way of saying that we are no longer under the power of sin because we have been set free. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the power of sin is the law. So if we are led by the Spirit, we're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the power of sin. Well, then what about verses 19 to 21 where it talks about the acts of the flesh? Telling you, don't do that. And they're obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, etc. Obviously, that's the old nature ruled by sin, right? It sounds like we're still battling that. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Look at the rest of verse 21. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, if this is their lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Are they going to lose, just lose their salvation because they start acting like that? No, they were never believers. In these verses, he's describing non-believers. In that second paragraph, 19 to 20, 21, he's describing non-believers. The old nature was not crucified. Their old nature is still alive and well and is ruling. That's why they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not and cannot be walking in or being led by the Spirit because their lives have not been transformed. That corresponds with 1 John 5.18, which says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Do we sin once in a while? Yeah, we do. Do we have to? No. 
But if a person continues to sin as a lifestyle, referring to living out the acts of the flesh, that indicates, even from this verse, that they are not born of God. They've not been transformed and therefore will not inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, we are no longer like that. That's the old nature ruled by sin that can't help itself. We now have a nature ruled by Christ so we can now walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have been made complete in Christ. We have complete salvation. That's all part of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We have complete forgiveness and complete what? Victory. Therefore, Paul says in verse 16, With that truth in mind, with the completeness and supremacy and all sufficiency of Christ in mind, he goes on to say, don't let anyone sway you, not by human philosophy or reasoning, not by legalism, not by mysticism, and not by asceticism. Now, we've already looked at the human philosophy aspect. And as we wrap up this morning, we're we're going to begin looking at legalism and then finish up the, the rest of the chapter next week. Therefore, he says, do not let anyone judge you. One commentator talks about the bullying and the intimidation by those false teachers in those four different areas. And the intimidation continues down through the centuries and continues even today. Say, ah, the Bible is outdated. You know, we, the world, have a much better understanding now of human nature we know so much more now about how we evolved and, and how we were born. And we know now because science tells us that there, there are many genders and genders are fluid. We know better now how to be successful, how to be wealthy, how to be wise, how to be all you can be and how we can kill babies. After all, doesn't science prove that it's just a bunch of tissue? How to have fullness of life. It's interesting. I just checked mail, our mailbox this morning and uh, got a quote here from William Shatner. Start living life to your fullest today. Huh, wonder what that's about. Get $2,000 off uh, from hearing life for uh, hearing aids. That's fullness of life. I understand. He's, he's not talking spiritually. But the world is saying you can get fullness of life from all these other things. Christians need to catch up with the times and update that old, ancient, outdated Bible. Intimidation with human philosophy and fine-sounding arguments. Paul says, don't let them do it. Know who you are in Christ. Know the truth and stand firm on the truth. Then here in verse 16, he goes on to that second area of intimidation, that's legalism, that's basically saying you've got to commit yourself to the religion of human achievement. It's Christ plus plus works of righteousness. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Paul's saying here to the Colossian Christians, look, these people are trying to intimidate you with legalism. They're trying to judge you on what you eat and on what you drink, 
whether or not you attend Passover or Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Lights, whether you make your sacrifice on the first day of the month, which is the new moon, and whether you prescribe to all the laws and rules and rituals of the Sabbath day. They're saying it isn't enough to know Christ. You have to know Christ and keep these other Jewish laws. Simply put, legalism is subscribing your spirituality to man-made laws or defining your spirituality by your ability to keep man-made laws. Or, as the Judaizers and these false teachers in Colossae were doing, taking the laws of the Old Testament, and this is interesting, taking the laws of the Old Testament, which have now been fulfilled in Christ and therefore are no longer in effect, and reinstating them, thus now making them man-made rules. He's saying that if Christ has given you complete salvation, if he's given you complete forgiveness, if he's given you complete uh, victory, if everything is complete in him, then don't let anybody come along and make a spiritual judgment about you that depends on what you do or don't do ritualistically. Again, back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Christ has made us free. He has set us free. And Paul says, now don't go back into legalism. It still happens today. You know, when I was young, there were all kinds of things added to the thou shalt not list. Thou shalt not go to movies. Thou shalt not play with playing cards. Rook was okay but not playing cards. Thou shalt not play billiards. Thou shalt not drink. And on and on the list went. But you know, at times it seems that judging believers often seems to become a Christian thing to do. Christians do it a lot. There are Christians who see a person with a cigarette and they immediately write out a whole definition of their spirituality. We see someone with tattoos up and down their arms, the nose, lip, and eyebrow rings. And we know exactly what the kind of person they are, right? There are Christians who would maybe see somebody with a glass of wine or a glass of beer and easily jump to the conclusion that ah, that person can't be a Christian, or if they are, they're carnal. It infiltrates into the present-day churches as well. We tend to judge the spirituality of a church according to whether certain things are included in the order of service or not. What church furniture is used and where it's placed, using pews versus chairs, having the ceiling all painted black with using spotlights, that's horrible. Having an organ versus a worship band, uh, using hymn books versus TV screens. There, there are churches that still are struggling with some of these issues. Using the King James Version of the Bible versus a different version, and on and on the judgmental thoughts go. Paul is saying, come out from under all that bondage. You've been set free. Does that mean that there's no more obedience necessary? No, not at all. But it's different. What's the difference? The difference is that legalism and trying to obey man-made rules and regulations and laws, whereas obedience that Paul talks about and other writers in the New Testament talk about is obeying God's rules. Make sure what God wants. And if we're walking in the Spirit, folks, it actually becomes easy. 
Remember Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. He's telling people who are weary and burdened to come to him for rest. And he wasn't talking about physical burdens. He was referring to the heavy burden of the system of works and laws that the Pharisees laid on the backs of the people. You see, God uses our birth, that new birth. God uses our birth, not our behavior, to define us. He'll work on our behavior. That's what being transformed is all about. That's what the process of sanctification is all about as we become holy as He is holy. But that's Him working. Let's allow Him to work in every person and let's not judge. And don't let people intimidate you and make you act like they want you to act because they think that's more spiritual. We are to flourish with the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and what? Self-control. It's part of the discipline. Controlling our desires, self-control. And guess what? Against such things, there is no law. You can do that as much as you want. And it's encouraged. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The reality is always found in Christ. All this stuff from the Old Testament were a shadow pointing to Christ. And all of it found fullness, found completeness in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we also are complete and full in Christ. We have that complete salvation. We've got the complete forgiveness. And we've got complete victory. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Father, this morning we thank you for the freedom that you have given to us. Thank you for being free from the power of sin. Thank you that we have this new nature, that we can live in victory in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would help us to avail ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit that you have given us because he's living in us. That we would be aware of the battle. It's a spiritual battle that's going on. We need to be aware of that battle and fight against that battle with the Word of God and, and, and with the authority of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would help us understand and live in victory with the knowledge of this new nature of Christ that, is, that's, that completes us in every aspect. We praise you and glorify you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.